Lead from the Side is made in partnership with Performance Leadership, a co-venture of Western Bulldogs and Victoria University. Hi, I'm Spencer Casimir, and this is Lead from the Side. Today is quite unique because we have a chair and coach duo for the first time on the show. So we have PJ Hartram. His leadership experience extends to chairman of Melbourne Ice, chair of the Australian Ice Hockey League, chair of Softball Australia, director of Kidney Health Australia, and director of the Infinity Group. Coach Kerry Goulet from Canada has been a player and captain in professional ice hockey, a coach and general manager of multiple professional ice hockey teams, global director of Stop Concussions, Carries Kids, Connected Mental Health Charities, global director of Ice Hockey Classic, global director of Tour of Hope, and host of Gooch Live Hockey Talk. Gents, welcome to the show. Thank you, Spencer. Great to be here. Great to be here, Spencer. Thank you for the opportunity. As you both know, this show is all about chatting about leadership and how it manifests in the sports industry. But before we start, PJ, tell me a little bit about Melbourne Ice and how an Englishman becomes so passionate about ice hockey in Australia. So uh, it's a long, a long journey. I started back when I was five years old and I put on my first pair of skates. Uh, I started figure skating for about five years and then started playing hockey when I was about 10 and played hockey through till 23, 24. Uh, I was fast enough, but I certainly wasn't big enough and I never had really the upper body strength to continue as a hockey player. And then 30 years later, took my son to a game in uh, the Ice House in Melbourne, fell in love with it again and ultimately became uh, a shareholder. So you found your way to essentially skate to where you saw the puck going as opposed to where it was. Correct. Yeah. (laughs) What's something in that process that others wouldn't know about the position unless they'd been in a similar role as a leader? The context of a chair is about, you know, size and opportunity. And hockey is still a very small sport, as you would imagine. Um, You know, I think we have about five or 6,000 registered players in the country. So in the context of sport in Australia, it's a very tiny sport, which means we wear many hats. You know, we've got lots of mums and dads and aunties and uncles that that come into amateur sport the way they do in Australia, which is fantastic. Uh, Yeah, it's a a small sport, but um, it's one of great opportunity and Australians just love it. Similarly, Kerry, what's something you'd like to share about being a high performance coach and athlete? Yeah. It's something that you know others wouldn't know unless they've been in that position. Well, very similar to Peter, I got started with the game uh, at three. As I was going through the experience, I just fell in love with the game first. Uh, and so I felt as I was growing and, and getting to higher levels and then getting the opportunity to go to Europe, uh, and seeing that the management needed a little bit more help, uh, they gave me a, a position as a player coach. So once I started to get infiltrated into the actual operations of the organization, it gave me an opportunity to think out of the box and bring maybe a new perspective that hadn't been seen before as an athlete, as a player, as a coach, then becoming uh, in the management group. And I think that's what we see here. You need to be above the the angles, meaning that you have to think out of that box, but also bring tradition and bring it into the new form. And that's what we're doing at Melbourne Ice. So do you find your leadership styles have ever had to adjust based on, you know, cultural? I, I mean, obviously, we all speak English, but we all come from very different backgrounds. 
For me personally, I will have to say there was a huge adjustment. I'm still learning because the, the translation of every word has different meanings. It's how you deliver it, how you say it. I came here with high expectations, was humbled, obviously thinking that it would be a little bit easier than I thought. And that wasn't arrogance. That was just, I saw what Peter had already put in place. I knew a little bit about the history. I wasn't really into the landscape as much as I should have been. But uh, thankfully to the, the management group at the Melbourne Ice, been very patient, allowing us to learn as we go. There are mindsets that are different from from a junior player moving into a pro player. You know, the way you approach that in North America is far different than you would approach it here. And uh, I've learned that. Do a little bit more background research, understand the culture, understand the sport. As Peter said, you know, they have five to 6,000 people playing the game, whereas uh, where I'm from, there's 500,000 people vying to play ice hockey and so that's the learning curve that I need to come through. I mean, I, I really want to echo what Kerry said. I think the dynamics of our sport here is, I mean, we've got kids coming through our sport and we just don't have enough. You know, there's, there's no doubt about it. I listened to the coaches. They said we didn't have enough players and whatever. And then we said, well, we've got to do something about it. So we developed a junior club. We developed a junior program. But we also are dealing with kids that sometimes they can play their whole career and never have to try out because they just turn up. We don't have the numbers. When I was a junior and I went to state practice, there were 60 kids on the ice for 15 spots. You know, we've definitely come over a curve and and we're starting to see some, you know, bright lights in the tunnel, which is really, really good. And the question is always, how do we get around that when they know they're going to make the team no matter what? We need to create the competitive environment from the bottom. And that's, you know, school kids, five, six, seven, eight years old, giving them the opportunity to see hockey and, and we're very lucky in the rink that we play in because often when the school groups come, they actually can walk over to the other stadium and, and actually see hockey being played. So that's that's where we have to start and then we, we just need to drive numbers up. And we've been amazed. This is our third year with the junior club and already we've got players knocking on our door saying they want to be considered. We didn't have that opportunity, you know, four or five years ago. No way. Like a lot of small sports like us, we're an aging sport right across the league. When you look at the number of rinks here, there's three for the whole greater Melbourne area. It is difficult because that's an external restriction that you can't control. So what are ways that you have both found to innovate or even evolve beyond the status quo when a lot of people on the other side of the table, so to speak, are very happy with the status quo? Fundamentally, we're an entertainment product. We compete with people when they want to go and spend money on movies or other sports or, you know, a big day out, et cetera, et cetera. So the first thing you got to do is say, well, you can't just say you're entertainment. You've actually got to own some of the development as well. And you've got to be prepared to put time and money into that. My experience here with kids in Australia is, you know, you just got to get them exposed and the rest kind of works its way out. You know, we will find time. We will find gear. Is it a little sticker shock there when you have to spend a thousand bucks to, to even get on the ice, you know? So, yeah, I think the first thing is just take responsibility for it. And I'm glad now a lot of our counterpart teams around Australia are starting to do the same thing, which is really good. How about for you, Kerry? Obviously, facilities create a big issue for us. But I think it's really important that we look at the opportunity of having our players also give back, getting them engaged with the young kids. And we're doing a great job of that now, obviously, with our junior development. 
But I think in anything, the parents have so many choices today. We have to be more in front because most people can walk and run. Not everybody can skate, and it takes time to develop that skill. Through the ice house specifically, we have a tremendous skating club. Also, by being a cult sport or being a sport that's not seen uh, dramatically on the TV as we do with AFL and NRL, we have a little bit of an advantage. There's intrigue. There's there's a question. What is it all about? And if we deliver it properly, we can certainly grow quickly and faster, and, and we are doing that now. If you're looking to level up your ability to lead and inspire others, then Performance Leadership is the course for you. Performance Leadership is a unique and exciting professional development course delivered in partnership with Western Bulldogs and Victoria University. The two-day course focuses on practical learning with a range of facilitated activities. Learning is complemented by high-performance sport insights from a range of Western Bulldogs guest speakers and senior industry leaders. Join like-minded professionals at Performance Leadership in Melbourne this October. To find out more, visit education.westernbulldogs.com.au. You know, for all of us, when we showed up in Melbourne, the idea of Aussie rules, <laughs> yeah. it's exotic. What is this strange sport? There is that intrigue. Yeah. If yeah. you don't mind me just adding to that, is that as a North American coming over here, the intrigue to see the sport is great. But once you get there and you don't know the rules, you can't follow it all, you kind of get a little bit disjointed. And that's very similar to ice hockey where it's a really fast moving game. So I think it's educating so that when they go out the door and say, hey, I went to an ice hockey match and this was what I saw, I think that's going to be really important for us to educate our people that are coming in the rink. Just switching leagues for a moment when I went to an NBL game, I couldn't believe the music still continued as play went on. Yeah. The idea that players were playing with the music. So why would we not have commentary for people in the audience who genuinely don't know all of the rules? Can I just add, though, to about the little guys particularly, a real differentiator between us and North America is the college system. So in North America, you get the opportunity to play college football, basketball, hockey, whatever you like. Um, And then after the college system, you turn pro or life gets hard. You know, there's not a lot of options. In Australia, we have these amateur clubs. You can play footy until you're 40 years old, no problem, uh, in a competitive environment. And that's brought about by our amateur status and also by the volunteers. So when you pull in four, five, six-year-olds, you're getting mums, dads, aunties, uncles. And you would be amazed in this country how many great sporting administrators are those people. It's amazing how many kids actually drive their parents and relatives into the sports. Well, there's an interesting theory that came from theme parks called the bag holder theory. How long the kids stay at the theme park, or in this case at a sporting event, is largely determined by the bag carrier, who's not there because they don't necessarily enjoy it. They're doing it because the kids enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. And the idea is, how can we make it great for them too? And that's definitely something that I've I've seen, at least in my experience, going to the Ice House. I just saw, I experienced that this weekend, uh, uh, where a young uh, couple brought four of their kids. Four kids have never been there before. There's this young little girl. She couldn't have been more than three. And she was learning how to say, go ice, go. And uh, she came up to me after the game and, and she turned to mom and she said, can we go next game? And they were at the next game just recently. And I thought, that's how we have to do it. We have to make that experience for the family. We had a great um, social media event, uh, well, incident, I'd call it, a couple of weeks ago with one of our players in Canberra. A young girl picked up 
his spare stick, which he had leaning against the boards. He came back and actually gave it a stick. And it got captured on video, went around the world on Instagram, I think, and, you know, 1.2 million views and lots of comments like, gee, those Melbourne Ice guys are great. They're so generous. And tucked in, it was one of those, which was from me, which said, was that a $500 stick? Exactly. (laughs) I was thinking the exact same thing. (laughs) And it was. (laughs) Was Was it... It was an agent, yeah. Was it a good one? <laughs> it was a beauty. Oh, there you go. Oh, yeah. You could not invest $500 in media any better. No, absolutely It was not. a cracker. Yeah. We all learn in business the opposite, that culture eats strategy for breakfast. But when you realize you have a great culture, it's not meaningless, but you just have an opportunity that you never would have had otherwise, but for just good luck. So, you know, let's shift gears. We're looking more at that evolution in your careers. What do you find is the most noticeable difference from when each of you started in terms of how you lead as opposed to now? It's an interesting discussion, particularly around sports, because, you know, I've led plenty of businesses and plenty of organizations in my life. But in amateur sports, it's a, it's a whole new world. We're dealing with a lot of volunteers and a lot of amateur players which have all got full-time jobs. They've all got commitments at home. And somewhere in between that, we have to find relevance to play what we regard really as a professional sport because we expect them to come to two trainings a week and maybe one other training a week off ice. You know, we're on the road quite a bit. We travel with 22 players when we go on the road. So it's a big crew. It's a big organization to move around. Sometimes that's challenging. So I think what people want is just fair treatment. We don't treat people the same all the time, but you've got to be very fair in the way that you treat everyone. And I'm talking players, volunteers, um, because we're still fundamentally a volunteer-led organization. But people are constantly around the club helping out in some capacity, and some people will do so more than others. Yep. Uh, where I think in North America, and I mean, Kerry, you can tell me if your experience is otherwise. It seems a bit more formalized in that capacity, but I do feel more fluidity here where people can just be bringing their kid and then become something big at that club and organization. The other one that's been, I'd say a little bit challenging for some guys that are over 60, I'm not sure you are, Pete, but I know I am, is this invention called technology from iPhones to laptops. I wouldn't say a challenge. It's been a learning curve that uh, these young men and women that are involved in the organization, their brains are like satellite dishes. They've got so much information. You have to change your coaching style or even your management. Yeah. I think also the game is being delivered differently now. You know, streaming and streaming to multiple devices using the stream just to listen to the game while they're at the game. I mean, you just got to do that to compete. Uh, I went to a game, uh, Toronto Maple Leafs were playing, and they bring you your food. So it's really changed the way the business operates yeah, too. Yeah, I love that. If you've got a long queue, I'll just give you one quick reference. I did an outdoor game last year in Germany for 37,000 people. It was one hour in the line to get a beer right? You've got to change that. And why are they there? Yes, they're there for the kiss cam and the, and the fun and the music, but realistically, they want to watch the game. So make it easy for them to sit in their seat and enjoy that. In sports that have a general admissions section, classically, we'd assume that people who buy GA tickets will want to get there early to make sure they get a great seat. But as people have become more time poor, yeah. that hasn't been the case as much anymore. Um, but we want we want fans to come earlier so they can actually participate more and yeah. get those things out of the way. We're fighting a bit of a tide there, though. I, we've noticed in the last three years that sometimes you can look up into the stands with five minutes to go and it looks empty. On paper, we've sold out. So what's going on? 
they come in right before the game and they go straight to their seat. Yep. We, and we've seen a move away from GA for sure because we used to get three, four, five hundred for GA, you know, and now it's maybe one or two hundred, but every seat is booked. But there was a very interesting comment came to me from a gentleman named Tim Wharton. He runs Kudos Arena in Sydney. He said, listen, I've got to tell you, ice hockey is the best sport for us as a retailer. And I said, well, why? He said, when you have a concert, generally people don't get out of their seat. They may have a little quick intermission. With uh, rugby, you've got a very short window. You've got uh, one half. With ice hockey... People love to come and watch the warm-up the way it is. They sit, they watch, and then we give them a 12, 15-minute break in the first intermission to go off and do stuff. He was saying they were getting that one extra touch point. I thought that was a very interesting comment from a guy that's done concerts with everybody on the planet and a bunch of big sporting events. I think people are fed up with having artificial stoppage. Nobody likes it. And nobody likes it when you're watching a game and you have a series of commercials because it's a TV timeout. But if it's just naturally part of the game that you have three periods with two intermissions or you have four quarters, it's an honest way of doing business while still maximizing both sides. But on the show, quite a few people have been open about talking about times they had to leave and it just didn't work. And sometimes say, hey, we did everything we could. How do you guys have those conversations? One of the very unfair things about our sport is that while we try to improve every year um, and we use a range of metrics to be able to see that, so does the other 10 teams. So when you do fall short, you know, the key thing is really you've just got to support your key people. I think, you know, normally in our sport, it's captain, it's coach, it's management and the committee, you know, and if they're all singing from the same sheet, life gets a lot easier. If that's fractured, I think you'll find that teams fall apart. Opinions get in the way, blame gets in the way, et cetera, et cetera. And we've had to contend with that. When we took over the team in 2017, we won the league. We had a team that probably will never be put back on the ice again because it was just it all happened at once, you know, next year one wheel fell off and the next year two wheels fell off and then we realised, hang on, we need to refresh this team. We're just starting to, to move ahead accordingly. And Carrie, you're coming into this now. You were largely brought on to bring it to the next fruition and the next step. What is that like? It, it has been a, a journey with uh, trials and tribulations, but I think that comes with anything. One of the things that I, I find incredible is, I know it's not pro, but this is a semi-pro league. If this year would have been in Germany, I would have been in a lot more of a hot seat than I am today. And I think that's due to the management and, and the understanding. Peter having a background and realizing it's not just a flick of a switch and all of a sudden everything's uh, well. And so the patience is important. We said it would be a three-year plan. Obviously, I would like to be holding the good old cup this year with Peter and and all the boys. But what do we take from that? How how do we learn from that? And then on top of it, I got to admit, our imports have been injured more than I've seen in a long time. And I'll try to figure out why and what, but we've got a good nucleus. We've got a great captain. And now it's just getting them all on the same page uh, at the same time so that we can vie for uh, the cup next year. And that's what our goal is. We all get tried. We all get tested going through these journeys. And as I said before, other teams improve, et cetera, et cetera. But you have these moments. Like last week, we finished a game that, you know, really we were leading the whole way. I I think the conference champion we were playing, it was an amazing game. Lots of goals, lots of excitement. You know, we all came out of that game a bit bruised, all that sort of thing. But then we walked down to where the players come out and sign autographs. There was at least 40 kids. It was unbelievable. 
these were not big kids. Those were little kids. It was just a moment. Sometimes you think it's really, really bad, you know, but in the grand scheme of things, we're doing a lot of really good things. And losing is a great opportunity. You have to learn how to lose to, to feel the win. And I think that every one of those young men felt the same way as Peter did because here everybody was electric. Everybody was coming up, patting me on the back. Great job. Your team's great. We see the future. We're, we're on the right path. As long as we stay true to our, our thoughts and, and, and our plan, I think we're in good shape. Uh, the timeline is shorter now for most places that are not interested in actually seeing through the development and the implementation of a plan. We see coaches getting sacked mid-season. But in situations where things just aren't working, is it ever worth you know really sacking somebody in the middle? Hey, listen, guys have bad years. Coaches can only, we're traffic cops, basically. Don't overmanage the situation. And that's what happens with a lot of coaches getting fired. They start to try too hard. And sometimes it's to take a back seat. Get your captains in and listen to them. But today with, uh, you know, it's the me generation. It's, a, I need success now. I, I need a gratification. And we all have that in business and in sports. So that's why I think there is no, no more patience. Uh, it's a win-all attitude, and if you don't have that, um, who's going to go? You can't fire all 20 players, so you got to look at somebody. But there are some bona fide coaching changes that have worked in the past, and they did have a direction change. Maybe that coach didn't fit into the type of players he had and didn't adjust to that. So I think you have to look at both sides of that. Year two, we had to release a coach mid-season. It was really difficult. It was pretty obvious that the team had sort of made up its mind that this was just not going to work. It was really, really, really hard because it sends a message to our fans, our members. It sends a message to the other, to the players. And we've had players come to me. I mean, I've been here four years and I've had four different coaches. And that's why we made a long-term commitment with coaching now. You've just got to stick by everybody to wear it and, and you'll take some speed bumps along the way. So I would like to end with my usual final question. Any good leadership advice that you know now that you wish you knew sooner, what would it be? Kerry sort of touched on this before is you've got to have a big dream. And I think if everyone signs on to the big dream, things go really well. It's not any good anymore just to say, well, we're going to be in this league, we're going to be competitive. You know, it's you've got to have bigger goals and things that are tangible for people to have a look at. Seems pretty simple, but, you know, very quickly we can get absorbed into, you know, our big dream is how do we get through the next month sort of thing. So, yeah. No, well said. Kerry? Uh, my famous line is... Uh, uh, if you're going to be good, why not be great? You have to have some reality in it. But my first meeting with the boys, I said, guys, uh, we're lifting the good old cup. Uh, thank God I didn't say it was just this year. We're, we're raising the good old cup together. And uh, how many home games do we have? 12. We're going to win the first one. And then we're going to win the second one. And then we're going to win the third one. And as we create this opportunity of winning 12 that's how we do it. We will never get to 12 if we don't win the first. And so I think that's really important that build a dream, build a structure, and then build a plan. Now, how do we make that dream, the goal, and make it a reality? And that's what's going to happen over the next three months. You can follow Melbourne Ice via social media, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, or whatever you use at Melbourne Ice. On that note, both of you, thank you so much for being on the show. It really was a pleasure, as you know. Again, so unique to have two positions of leadership from the same organization, all behind the mics and talking about leadership. Thanks for listening today, and thanks to our sponsors. 
More information about the show and our guests can be found in the show notes. You can follow the show on Twitter or LinkedIn at Lead From The Side or myself on Twitter or LinkedIn at BallsOutPhD. If you want to contribute to the show, send us an email at leadfromtheside at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. See you next time, and remember to lead from the side. Bye.